Hey, this is Phil Yano with the Tech After Five podcast, and we are here to help you, my friend, our tech professionals, uh, live stronger lives. Are we, uh, hopefully, we're equipping you with the tools you need to make the connections you need to move the ball forward for you, whatever that is, whether it's in your career or in building your business. But we're here to help you. So, as always, I've got my friends, uh, Carol Hamilton is back hey. after a short hiatus. Yes. Hello, Carol. Yes. Hi. Nice to be back. Thanks. Isn't it? I'm so glad to see you. And a smile on your face. Even. Yeah. So that's pretty good. Life is good. Yeah. And uh, we've also got my pal, Scott Pfeiffer. Good yeah. to be here, Phil. Yeah. How are things in your world? Things in my world are good. Just over here teching like a Roman emperor every day. <laughs> holding back, holding back. Well, that is a uh, callback <clears throat> to the last one. So that was uh, super fun. But we've got a super fun guest with us here today. We've got Dr. Rebecca Heiss. And uh, she is here. Show that smiling face. Say hi to everybody. Hi, everybody. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> the, you know, you're doing that for the camera, right? For those who are listening, they just they don't see the jazz hands thing going. So the, yeah. everybody else is like, hey, that's pretty awesome. Uh, and uh, we are here to kind of pull at the threads of uh, what Rebecca has been up to, because she's trying to help people, as she says, live fearlessly. I can't imagine a better topic for our time because Rebecca every day I get up with a cloud over my head it feels like right and every day I mean it's a, I got to go out and do battle but you are helping people do that so how about before we get into that let me just pull up the thread first how did you get to talking about this what brought you here wow uh short version yeah short version short version is um I started taking little jumps of of fearlessness um I had a nice, stable, steady job, and I was like, oh, you know, I've always wanted to try my hand in entrepreneurship and had an opportunity to work with Next and, and build a high school. And I was like, let's, yeah, let's, let's do that. That seems, seems fun and exciting and challenging. Um, and then I had an opportunity to give a TEDx talk. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's, let's do that. So I have this background in, in evolution and human behavior uh, and stress physiology, which is basically understanding why our brains do what they do under stress, which is all the time. And I started applying it to, to various circumstances, like why we behave and why we hire the people that we do, why we're scared of certain people, um, and, and trying to pull that into a broader context around business and, and awareness and how we can be the conscious beings that we think we are, but we probably aren't uh, most of the time. And, uh, and it launched a bit of a speaking career. I've written a book now and I'm working on an app to, to help us all become more self-aware. So little, little bits of fearlessness throughout my, my own life have been really, have served me well. And so I'm, I'm hoping to, to continue that and help, help people take those small bites of, of being fearless. Yeah. So when you take that out, let me start with, grab the first question here, but as you take this out into the corporate space, right? That's kind of what you're doing, right? You're helping primarily entrepreneurs, I think, as you're going out and having these conversations. And I think you've, I've, was it Vistage that you were doing this with? Or, yeah. A lot of Vistage work, yeah. Yeah. So out there talking, and of course, I imagine that always is a bunch of, of entrepreneurs trying to figure out their way through the world. Talk to us about, for you, uh, you know, what are the, the things that are sticking for them, right? What are the things you say, oh my gosh, they get this, they need this, they are glad I was here to talk to them about it. 
Yeah, um, I think, oh, let, me, let me start with the fact that yes, and um, I'm working with entrepreneurs, I'm working with CEOs, I'm working with pretty much anybody because I think we all need a dose of being fearless. And we break that down a little bit and say, being fearless is, is generally a bad idea, but actively and consciously sorting our fears into things that we need to fear and things that are old stories that worked in ancestral times to keep us safe, but are preventing us today from fully living. That's the big takeaway that I think so many people are, are hearing for the first time is, is all of those stress responses that we're having to things like our inboxes being too full, not having enough time to balance family life and, and work life and all of these modern day stressors that are creating a life of, of fear, of feeling compacted and like we can't get caught up and we're racing around all of the time and being able to step away from that and saying, wait, what does it look like not to live in this space of complete comfort and safety, not to immediately jump to where our brains go, we're going to die because this is so much, I can't take it. What does it look like to live in the middle there, sitting in that discomfort, being okay with not knowing exactly the outcome, but being able to assess those fears as not being a life or death situation, but potentially positive outcomes. Uh, so reframing a lot of our problems as might not be the worst case scenario, but even a partial success could move us forward. Uh, that's, that's been one of the biggest takeaways. Um, I'd say the other one is, is identifying enemies. So I'd love to tell you that our brains are peaceful, harmonic, loving places, but they're not, right? They instinctively create common enemies around age, race, gender, factors that we can easily see and identify and say, that's not me, that's the other. And so what I work with people to do is understand how their brains are doing that and create consciously a common enemy separate from age, race, or gender. So I use, for example, um, the Red Sox, because I'm a huge Red Sox fan, right? And I walk into Fenway Park and I don't see age, race, or gender first. I see, are you part of my team? Are you one of right. me? Are you part of the in-group, right? Do you have the right logo? And we're back in the days when social distancing wasn't so important. We're hugging, we're high-fiving, we're buying beers for strangers because we have this tight in-group all because we have a clear common enemy, right? Those damn Yankees and those guys, man, oh, the evil Yankees, those losers. We can clearly identify them. So what can we do within our own organizations to create that tribe, to eliminate all of those other biasing factors to say, not that I don't see color, not that I don't see race, not that I don't see it, but there's something bigger that we need to fight against. Because if our brain is going to constantly go to the negative, let's work with our biology to generate all that negativity towards a positive outcome. Yeah, I'm going to say I'm a great threat detector. My brain is super wired for that thing, right? I see bad stuff all over. Now, it turns out it's mostly not wrong. I'm mostly wrong about that, right? But of course, it's as a whole, you would think that false threat detection is typically a thing that doesn't hurt us a lot because failure to detect a threat is in fact a problem. It's a biological problem. That's right. It is why we are wired the way we are wired for that, right? But it's got to, how do I, but none of that, you know, the he's going to steal my banana is not the same when I'm out in the real world or in a corporate environment, right? I don't need to uh, be the cat that's worried about my stapler the same way I might be worried about that banana. Sure. And yet, you know, you can say that and consciously we can all sit there and go, of course, that's such a dumb thing. Why do I need to have that status if I'm comfortable? And yet, 
in the back of our heads, there immediately are these stories start, these instincts start of, I need that banana. What if that person gets that banana and then they have higher status than me? And what does that mean for my, my availability as a, as a strong mate or a strong, all of these stories that again, don't serve us well and consciously we're aware of, but it doesn't mm. prevent us from still having that instinctual response. Yeah. Carol, I think you've got to see this kind of stuff a lot in your corporate clients, right? Because you're Absolutely. talking to folks. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that I really like you talking about, because I love where you're talking about not having it all good or all bad and, and getting comfort with that discomfort. Because I think that in this world, which is changing at such a rapid pace, we are completely out of control. And so what I go to is I hear people talking about pharmacies, right? There's all these pills. We've been brought into this culture where we're starting to just medicate. If you're not happy in us, medicate. If you're not, you know, if you're sad, just medicate. And I love the idea of you're saying, sit in it, be in it, understand the fear and see which pieces of it you can just let go of because you don't need to be carrying that around. I, I love this message. Thank you. Yeah, you actually, you just brought up a, an idea for me. There's a quote and I am going to butcher and I cannot remember the source. So I'll have to look this up for, for your show notes. But it says, what measure of health? What measure is, is, is health? in a profoundly sick society, right? Mm. When, we're, when we're, what measure is good? What measure is bad? We, we moralize so frequently the words like racist or biased or, and we're like, well, I'm not that. I'm, I'm not a bad person. Right. Oh, no, 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 we're not bad people. But those shortcuts, those stories can, can, can cause actions and behaviors that consciously we wouldn't want our conscious selves doing. And so getting past the, this makes me a good person, this makes me a bad person and saying, well, this makes me human. Now, what right. am I consciously willing to actively do to fight against these stories, these shortcuts, these instincts? Yeah, we start a lot of conversations with that. If we all have bias, the concept that we're going to spend any amount of time saying, I don't have bias is crazy. But if I understand where the bias is coming in, if you look exactly like the father-in-law that I left behind and I didn't like him much, at least I can say, you know what, there is an issue here. And I'd like to tell you about that. You happen to look like somebody that I don't like, and I'm going to do everything I can to sort that out, but I just don't want to pretend it doesn't happen because I'm with you. I think it happens under the surface then. It just starts driving the bus and we don't even know it. And I'm not saying there aren't openly, horrifically dedicated racists out there by any sure. stretch That's, that would minimize a problem that is not allowed to be minimized anymore. It is much more about just understanding if we can pull the judgment out of it, we're more likely to change the behavior. Because I don't think we want to look at anything that causes us to feel that bad about ourselves to any great extent, right? That's at some point, you just go, I can't take it. I don't want to be this person. And I'm just going to give up trying to think differently or behave differently. Yeah. The Stoic would say we can't control that initial reaction that we have. Uh, that initial emotional is something that's out of our control. What we can control is what we do next. Right. How we process right. it and deal with it. That's exactly yeah. it. You're not going to change the hormonal response. Like, <clears throat> just had a stress response. Okay, now what? Can I take a breath? Can I have that fearless conversation with my father or my ex-father-in-law, the look-alike, and say, right. look, let me be honest with you. Yeah. You know? We have an issue that is none of your problem. Not you. <laughs> 
am working. I'm going to actively work at that. And I think this is one of the things that's not happening enough when it comes to race relations. We're, we're so uncomfortable. Look, all of us are white, right? And so there's this, there's this immediate, I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm not going to come. It's not going to come out right. And so I'm just not going to have the conversation. Right. Instead of saying, I don't know what I don't know. I'm probably going to screw up. Please assume positive intent, which we started talking about immediately yeah. and, uh, and help me. And, and I'm not expecting you to teach me, but when I speak out of turn, correct me. Let me, let me learn. Let me, let me engage and let me try. Um, and I think that's where we have to all start as the non-expert in everything in life, because so much is driven here. Yeah. We're not yeah, experts your, in our your, uh, your ideas about creating another other uh, reminds me of what Yuval Noah Harari says about uh, the human ability to create shared subjective realities that allow us to cooperate in larger groups than say chimpanzees that can only cooperate in groups of about a hundred because they're unable to create those shared subjective realities. And the larger the shared subjective reality, whether it's, you know, Catholicism as a shared subjective reality that allows a white person in Paris to cooperate with a Chinese person in Beijing because they share that subjective reality. But at the same time, those shared subjective realities can also limit our cooperation by creating these artificial senses of otherness. And they seem to be especially persistent when that shared subjective reality has an objective basis, like the color of someone's skin behind it. So we have a subjective reality of people that don't look like me are like this. And that's the subjective part, but it's based on an observable feature and that becomes persistent and prevents us from cooperating. That's, that's exactly it. Those, those biological yeah. triggers that are easily seen, visualized. I, I had an interesting thought the other day and it was just one of those random things that pops up and you just reminded me of it again, which is what's the next war going to look like when we can't identify like it's always been around race or right. you know, like something that's an easel, easily visually identified. How do you know my reality or my ideologies without having that conversation? Now, I think there's great hope there also in that um, when you're talking about creating those shared, shared common realities, my immediate thought is, um, this is very clinical, but exposure therapy, which right. in other words is like hang out with people who are different from you. Um, yes. Favorite research experiment uh, talks about empathy and developing shared empathy. So two people walk in as friends, one person sticks their hand in an ice book out of water, and they measure the empathetic response of the other friend. Um, and what they found is that, you know, friends show an empathetic response. They have a stress response to their friend with a hand in an ice bucket. But strangers, especially of different races, don't have that. Mm -hmm. Now, what they did was they had those two strangers of a different race play, um, some Xbox game, uh, rock band. It was rock band. They played 15 minutes of rock band together and they showed the same empathetic responses as the two friends wow. together. So that's like such hope that our biological association with empathy and what produces empathy can be overridden in a 15 minute interaction. Yeah, I just, I don't think it takes a whole lot to get that started, right? And I'll tell you that it's always been one of the secret things that we were doing inside of Tech After Five. And my gig was to say, I'm just going to take people that don't know each other and throw them in a room together, and they're going to have a beer together and a conversation. And if I can get them to have enough empathy with each other, 
then they will help each other solve their problems. And they will just cooperate to get bigger things done than they would do because they didn't know each other, right? And we've seen this happen so many times. So we know this works. And it's even better if I can get them somehow cooperating towards getting a job of some sort done. You know, maybe they're going to do a volunteer project or they're going to play a game together inside of Phil's universe. Or even if it's, you know, it's us tossing them together. Now we do this on, since we're on Zoom, we're doing this inside of breakout rooms. But the idea is to throw them into a room with a mission, make them do a thing. They come back out and it's nuts because I ask them to report out and it's like, well, yeah, I didn't know this person before, but I found out this about them and this about them and this about them. And they're right. excited to tell me that they learned about somebody else. Now, just be clear, they could have bumped into someone on the road and done that bit. But for us to facilitate and say, we're moving in this direction. This is where I want you to go. This is why I think this is good for you. Well, they trust me enough to get started. Once you get them in the experiment, then they build empathy and they're off building things together. And that's all I really wanted to get done to begin with is for them to go cooperate towards something, right? And I okay. think... Oh. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I think it. that's a big part of the answer. I really do. I think that you have to legislate in terms of rules and laws. You have to you have to change behavior that's just stupid, right? Sometimes you have to legislate common sense. This is you have to pay people equally. You have to treat people equally. That sort of thing. But to get minds changed, not be just behaviors, but minds changed, you need relationship. Yep. And I love yeah. that in both approaches where you're talking about how do we come in and engage each other? Because the more I know about you, the harder it is to hate you. The more I understand you, the harder it is to yell at you. Even if I'm standing in a line and I know something about the cashier, if it doesn't matter how mad at the store I am, I'm much more likely to be empathetic or at least not be such a Karen about it. Right. Exactly. It. It's, it's, it's the relationship. It's the relation. It's we. It's why we forgive old Uncle Al, who's in yeah. a little racist, but but he's he's family. You have the relationship, and then the challenge is okay. Great, now you have the relationship. That's when you get to be fearless and have the conversation. Hey, Al, not okay. Let's dig in here because we have a relationship. We're not going to lose that. And I think so much of our fear is is one of these like they're going to kick me out of the tribe. Right? Yes. They're going to kick me out of the tribe. I'm going to be rejected. And my answer to that is in this modern day, great. You know, if, if they kick you out of the tribe, you need a better tribe. Right. There's so many people out there, right? There's so <laughs> yeah. many great people that can challenge you and push you into these conversations that we should all be having that are right. really engaged in that difficult work, that, that gray matter. Um, and I say that not ironically, but that gray in between, right? The, the black and white. I'm going to die or I'm safe. Right. So, good. Get kicked by the tribes. That's, that's mm. fantastic. You're doing the work. So one of the things that you're running an experiment with, which I got to participate in with you, is this idea of kind of taking another human being and staring them in the eye for a period of time and seeing if your head explodes. And uh, <laughs> so far... I would guess that nobody's head has exploded, but uh, I, I, I'm certainly going to share a little bit of my experience, but, I, but you have done this with a number of folks. Talk about what inspired you for the experiment, what it's felt like to run it. What have you learned? Okay, so this was uh, an entirely selfish experiment. I'll just, I'll just say it out front because what I find for myself is that I feel very challenged by different people. And I wanted to understand more the biology that's happening in myself when I, when I experience this challenge and, and what the story is that's going on in the back of my head. Is it a race thing? Is it an age? Is it a gender? Is it a position? Is it a status? What is it that makes me so uncomfortable with some people and not others? And so I set up this, this thing called fearless chats 
where, first of all, it's the challenge to, to get to know each other, right? This is, this was, I don't know Phil that well. We had a great little conversation. I, I picked some three really random questions. So it's fearless for him to come on. He doesn't know the questions that I'm going to ask. They're completely bizarre. Um, it's fearless for me to ask this somewhat of a stranger to do this. And then we have to do this, right? We <laughs> stare at one another and it's very intimate um, because, and this is Phil's observation. We just don't do this as a species. We don't take time to just look at each other's eyes without speech, without anything impeding us, any television in the middle of us, just a moment of studying one another, experiencing, wondering what the other is thinking, which is so much of what the human experience is, is what empathy is built on. And so um, in doing this, I've had the privilege of talking to you know, minor celebrities, major celebrities in Green Minor Day. celebrities, right? <laughs> look, remember, on Zoom, I'm two inches tall. <laughs> And, and, you know, people in Hollywood and, and people of, of different races, different religions, different ideologies. And I'm just trying to, trying to be very present in my own body to experience what I'm experiencing and, and ask the question, what's the story that I'm telling right now? Why am I so nervous with this person and not that person? Um, and so I, I don't know if you want me to tell you any of the results of this, but I, I definitely feel um, more nervous with men always, I sweat profusely. I have this massive stress response, but, but differently with different men. Um, I don't seem, seem to have a stress response with race, but I will say I've only interacted with people that I'm already familiar with, that I already have that relationship built in. So they're mm. my friends. Um, it's, it's been a, it's been an interesting experiment for me. And I, and I still, I haven't. Find, find folks that you don't know, right? So go down and do this at the DMV. Exactly Just stand it. it. Go down to the DMV, stand there and stare for two minutes at the person at the counter and see how they Say, hold on a second. <clears throat> I think that's just great, stare. honestly. I think that's great. Because what I you're do doing too. is forcing yourself into that space of discomfort, right? You're having that challenge to yourself. And ironically, you know, that's, that's what we need to be doing to say, okay, I'm not going to die here. What, what, what story do I need to overcome? Now, my challenge to all of you is to do this without pushing that discomfort because this can be easily a privileged thing. No, don't push that discomfort on the other person, right? They have to be right. really impressed too. And it's hard to, to seek discomfort without feeling like I'm pushing that privilege onto you. Um, but it, yeah. it is a fun experiment. So I, I thought it was quite fun. And so I told you as we, when we talked that I had taken the experiment and I did it with my 14-year-old daughter, right? And so I, we put two chairs up, we sat about four feet apart or whatever, just comfortable distance. And, you know, I looked at her and she looked at me and of course she had that, you know, what is my crazy father up to again? And where's the camera, right? Um, but all of that bit, but, um, you know, I mean, even the people you live with, right? You create stories, you create a little bit of distance, you're trying to get stuff done. I mean, and so this was a moment to just kind of sit down and appreciate her and I don't know what exactly was going through her head other than the things I've described, but I loved the experience for me because it sat me down to look at this kid and say, okay, I got to think about, I'm going to just think about you for this period of time. And what kind of insight do I get out of it? How does that change how I feel about you? And I feel like it just, you know, it was one of those things where what I was seeing through my head kind of rumbled into my heart. And I was like, Okay, you know, how can I treat you 
and what you are going through, which is so different than what I'm going through in my life with more compassion and have more empathy for where you are in the world. And let me tell you, you know, a 57 year old man and a 14 year old girl do not have a lot in common. You know, it's just, that is not a natural communication experience. Right. Um, so I thought it was great. And I thought I would, I would certainly go do this with more people. I would start, I'm not trying to be uh, less, I'm not trying to fear less in this moment, although I get that idea. I think it's a strong one. I want to have more empathy with the people that I care about the most. And I loved that part of the experiment. I thought it was strong for me. I think that's, I think that's a, a great and valid reason to do it. And honestly, it's, it's what meditation, I, I talk about meditation in these talks a lot. Um, and, and I'll be honest with you, the, the very first time I was told I needed to meditate. I was like, mm, that's woo-woo. I had a story already. I'm like, no, nah, I don't need to do that. That's, that's woo-woo. And I, I dug into the science. And of course, it's, it's exactly what we're talking. It's taking the time to be with ourselves, to listen, to actually get in inside and say, whoa, whoa, that's, that's not a story I need right now. Or that's not a story I need to be telling. Oh my gosh. Because so many of these stories are so negative. Right. And like anything else in business, right? You, you need to measure things if you want to change them. And how often are we still in silent with ourselves even, let alone with yeah. other people, but to hear and to say, whoa, wait a second. That's yeah. So describe this for a second, you know, in a prescriptive way, right? If someone said, they, if you said, look, I'm going to challenge you to go do this. You know, if Scott wanted to go do this with someone he knew or Carol wanted to go do it or someone else listening, tell them how to go do this, set this up in a way for their, yeah. with a friend I of theirs. I think, I think there's a multitude of ways to do this, but right now, given safety concerns with, with COVID, I'll say, let's do this over Zoom, right? I would contact a friend. I would say, hey, let's participate in something called a fearless challenge. I actually have rules and, and the way to, to do this very simply outlined on my blog. If you want to follow those, that's sure. simple. Um, alternatively, make it your own. So I have questions that I release every, uh, every week on Monday. They're three completely random questions like, who would you take to the moon? No family members, one other person. And you have to live with them for a week. Who are you taking? It can be a story. Okay, that's a different question than who would I send to the moon? Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a different that, list entirely. You can do that it's, not a, it's not a whole capsule. You don't get to say right. a whole group. Right. Who, do I, who do I get to send to the moon? <laughs> and, and the whole idea is to ask questions that you wouldn't normally ask. You know, they're, they're creative, yeah. outside of the box thinking. Um, and... And then just listen, listen to the response. That's all. There's no follow-up. There's no you know, dialogue that has to happen. It's just a simple conversation. And the way I do it, I have three questions. I listen, I nod, I pay attention. And then I invite the other person to just join me in looking into each other's eyes. I set a timer for two minutes. The instruction is to you know, wiggle, move, whatever you need to do, but don't speak and don't remove your eye contact. Um, and breathe, experience it, you know, try and pay attention to what's going on in your own head. Uh, hmm. pay attention to the stories and then have a discussion with the, with the, the person that you've engaged, uh, into that intimate moment with and say, Hey, what was your experience like? Yeah. It's, you know, it's not rocket science. It's, it's really just, um, or brain science for that matter. It's, it's understanding, Hey, we're human beings having a human experience. Let's, let's share it. I almost wonder if you're not better off doing it on Zoom right this moment, since we have to, right? Or since most of us have to. I think that there's a safety about doing it on Zoom, especially if you're talking about a man and a woman at work 
there is this safety because this is such an intimate piece, but it doesn't have any sexual overtones. It just has intimacy. Right. And I think that there is an advantage to being able to do that through technology, especially if it's somebody that you might never have actually looked in their eyes, right? Because there can be that relationship where you, you just kind of get to know each other and you spend every day together, but there actually isn't that moment that stops and says, here we are. So I think there's a really interesting opportunity here. Yeah, I, I agree. And you know, the, the thing is, it is threatening. Like it's threatening over Zoom. Mm-hmm. Eye contact in nature is generally a threat. It's a what are you doing next? You know, what's, right. what's going on? Are, are, are you my enemy or should I eat you? That's the decision. Yeah, I'm making, exactly. right? <laughs> right. And they I say like, this with a lot of wild animals, right? If you stare right. them down, they see that as you're standing up and saying, right. you know, we're already biologically in, in, in conflict with that. Yeah. yeah. Right. right. And so it is, it is very challenging. So yeah, to your point, Zoom might be easier. And honestly, having some of these difficult conversations across Zoom, might be easier too. I've been doing a lot of virtual presentations and, and it seems like people are willing to say things that they might not feel as comfortable saying. Yeah. Um, because there is that, that space. Yeah. Right. Yeah, time is terrifying. Yes. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I've yet to be terrified of somebody over zoom, but um, uh, I'm supposing that's possible. I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, it's there. It is. And, Let and me tell you, I would exa- a, a, a counter, I'm not really a counter. I want to throw it, think something that popped to my head, right? And I know uh, Scott has heard me say this because he was on the call last night where we did the Tech After Five. A super interesting thing that has come out of Tech After Five on Zoom is that, you know, of course, we're not doing live events. When you went, you know, if you were not the kind of person that like did a lot of live networking, this our events could be intimidating. Not because we were difficult people. We try to be super nice people. But there's a lot of people and you have to make a lot of decisions. But when you come into the Zoom call, poof, you come in and it's a level playing field from the very get-go, right? And then the other thing is I'm taking people and putting them in breakout rooms. So I'm taking all the decision-making out of their hands. I grab them, put them in. Now, here is my observation. And I say this because I've had this happen maybe five times on all of these calls I've run. And someone will say, uh, this is way easier than networking in person because I'm an introvert and I really don't know what to do in a crowd. Mm-hmm. And I like this a lot. I mean, they're to the point, and it, it, don't tell me, don't get me wrong. They don't say that at the beginning of the call. They say right. it closer to the end. And they're like, I really like this. This works out really well for me. I have got to meet people and this was easier. Yeah, and they'll say, I, I feel more comfortable because at any moment I know I can hit the disconnect button and be gone. That's right. <laughs> right. I did hear that last night. I did hear that last night. <laughs> exactly. Where's that escape hatch? Eject, eject, eject. Oh, my bandwidth. Exactly. I think I come across very extroverted, but I, I'm terrible in crowds. Like it, it makes me super anxious and I'm not a drinker. And so like I will get a drink and I will carry it around just to have something to do with my hands. Right. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. And on here I'm like, oh, okay. I can just keep yeah. my hands by my shorts, which you can't right. see what I'm wearing, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Such a nice sense of safety. And I think ultimately, isn't that what we're really looking for in these kind of conversations is how do we create a space where somebody can say something and somebody else could say, you know, I'd like to push back a little bit on that without, without getting conflict engaged, but just having conversation that's real. I, I, I love what you're doing. I think it's really powerful. Thank you. And I, I think your point is, is well heard here. It's, it's really about finding belonging. You know, that's, 
all of our fears, the fear of failure, the fear of rejection, that all of our fundamental fears can be released when we find belonging. Yeah, we, all, we all want to belong and feel significant within that group. That's it. Yeah. 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 So um, how are you helping the world today? I know you're obviously not running around from group to group doing talks because, you know, nobody does that anymore, right? So uh, we're, all, we're all stuck in Zoom calls. I mean, so what are, what are you doing in the world today? Well, I am actually running around doing talks, but on Zoom calls. So it's a very different dynamic, um, but you know, you adapt. Um, so I'm still, I'm still speaking. Um, I am in the middle of launching a self-awareness app, which I am so, so excited about. Um, to me, it is, it is the epitome of fearlessness. Um, I had a, a wonderful sister-in-law that um, was more like a sister to me who was very fearless in her conversations with me. And oftentimes I did not want that, frankly, right? Like when somebody tells you, this is what you, this is what you're doing. This is how you're behaving. I'm like, uh-uh, no, no, no. Defenses come up, you know, <laughs> conversation. Ew, I'm not racist. I'm not biased. I'm not all the same fears come up, right? Um, but it helped me see myself in a way that truly allowed me to grow. And I said, man, everybody needs a Kim. You know, everybody needs somebody like that in their life who sees them and loves them for who they are and can hold the mirror up and say, see that? So I've created an app uh, called Acuity. And the, the idea is you push out traits, skill sets that you're interested in learning more about yourself. You rate yourself on those things. Uh, and then you push it out to friends, family, coworkers, colleagues, um, clients, and they rate you on the same things anonymously. And you start to get that feedback. You can start to see where your gaps are. In you know, I think I'm hilarious. My family, when I pull them, not so much. Right? <laughs> I put out, I'm like, oh, I'm 10 out of 10 on humor. And they're like, twos, maybe, maybe, right? <laughs> so, but this is such valuable information for us at. It's hard. We have to sit with that discomfort for a minute and say, okay, okay. And then we realize there's something wrong with those people. And move along. Go to the next drive, right? Clearly exactly. on the wrong side. If you cannot appreciate my comic genius, maybe right. I'm in the wrong house. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like, yes. Yes. Yeah. my issue. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Oh, no. I get How many tribes you have to go through in order to get that feedback, right. the same feedback before you say, what's the common denominator here? Um, yeah. I'm so on the third that- and final experiment, really, in that regard. <laughs> I'll find you to try and we'll laugh at your jokes. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yep. so, so that's coming out at the end of this month. Um, I've got a book coming out. I've been working hard on that. So, you know, lots, lots of little things. Um, and, and giving myself the space and time to realize, like, all of us were sitting in this strange time where everything is a challenge. Everything is so new. And our brain is yeah. literally having to rewire all of the norms, right, yeah. that like, went to the grocery store. Didn't think about it before. Subconscious behavior before. Now it's like, I have to weigh the consequences and I have to weigh the, do, is it worth it for me, for my kids, for my family, for, for the exposure that I might give to strangers? Like all of these moral decisions that used to be subconscious behaviors. So I think so many of us are feeling exhausted and, 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 um, and it's real, right? Your brain is working yeah. hard. So. And then there's the zombie aspect too, where you just feel like, oh my God. Are you a zombie? Are you a zombie, Carol? I am this week. Yeah. There's just these moments when I think I just want to go have a cup of coffee. I just 
one without someone one. watching. Yeah, no, I want it with you. I feel I go back to our favorite coffee place, and I just want to be eye to eye and not be plugged in. And just because we have a pause, not wondering if the screen froze, you know, yeah. it's like, ugh, I'm ready. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, and, and not right. it yourself. That's that's hard. I've actually yeah. got to the point where I take my video off. Because otherwise, I'll just be looking at myself the whole time, going, "That's my teeth." Or like, yeah, <laughs> it's just a lot of ongoing information, isn't it? Yeah, it is. it is. And we're so egotistical, like as a as a species, it's so hard not to just be suckered in and say, "This is what people are focusing on." You know. Oh, so yeah. I do. I pull out the turtle wax and a rag, and just, <laughs> <laughs> get that every time. Try to get the shine exactly where I want it. Yeah. No. I um. So I'm going back to your thing about why we're tired in this moment, because I think there's a thing, and I know that I, I don't, haven't heard anybody quite articulate it this way, but I think part of what's going on is we are certainly surrounded by a whole lot of uh, heightened awareness and feelings on a whole bunch of things. And so we're trying to not only figure out how we fit in that world, but we're trying to bring some of the folks we love with us at the same time. And so we, we have that dual role in there, which is I want them to be like this and I want them to still be my friend, right? Or I still want them to be my family or whatever. So there's this dynamic thing where, so a lot of our conversations are in fact in conflict because I'm trying to get two things done. I'm trying to change their mind and still be connected to them, right? So, and that could be at a bunch of levels. I want them to love me. I want me to love them. I want us to be, it doesn't matter. But I think that those conflicts create that uh, thing in our head. It's like, oh my God, I go to bed, I'm exhausted because I spent all day worrying about this group over here who in my mind are a bunch of knuckleheads, but how do I help them move the ball forward, right? I, I think that social media like summed up, right? This, this, and that this, that, this, that, and, and, and constantly engaging and working so hard through this yes and, like, yes, your perspective is valid and real to you, and let me pull you over here, and can you see this vision over, this, this constant pulling and tugging and, and, and trying to maintain that connection, I, I think that's very real, and um, it brings me back to this, um, my sister said it to me, but um, I think it was Brene Brown, I, I hope, it was. Uh, but she said, clear is kind. And we spend so much time trying to be kind and trying to be gentle. But sometimes we just need clarity. We just need to say, this is how it is. These are facts. This is, you know, it's not that I'm calling you a racist and I think you're a bad person. I think you're a racist because you're swimming in the same water as I'm swimming in. And this water that we've been swimming in that we haven't noticed as fish has surrounded our structure, has surrounded us for so long that yes, we are. This is where we are. Now, what are we going to do about it? Right. Yeah. And there's no need to judge it because that slows it down. Exactly. <laughs> so all that does is give you reason to just go, oh, yeah, well, then I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Totally agree. Next tribe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. New tribe, same story 15 minutes later. Yeah. Right. That's right. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I'm, I'm a lot of work. I'm just going to tell you. There's a lot of work to be done here. That's, all. That's okay. No. But, but that's, that's just it. We, we are all a lot of work. It's yeah. exhausting. It's exhausting. And when we, when we actually truly look at ourselves in the mirror, there's an element of, I have to still love this, right? I have to love this at some level, because if I don't love it, then I don't care to change it and work on it and grow. And holy cow, that's a lot of work. Can I, can I yeah. even bite that first bite of the elephant to, to move this along? 
Um, and it's a, it's a tough balance. Yeah, I want to tell you, it is a thing. I take um, some comfort in my discontent over my own state at some points because I realize that's the force I will use to do something differently, right? So I, I use that as kind of the energy to kind of push the ball forward. And I realized that, uh, you know, me and Sisyphus, we got the same thing going. There's a lot of backward motion on days, right? But, um, you know, but I'm pushing and then kind of going that direction. I don't think I'm cursed. I just think I got a lot of work to do. So it's pretty good. When you're living in that, in that gray area and that discomfort, it, it stinks, right? It, yeah. It's a constant battle for sure. Nobody said it would be easy. That's right. Dr. Rebecca Heiss, thank you so much for being our guest on the Tech After Five podcast. So we will ask you here at the end if folks would like to have more of you and your thinking in their lives. And I can't imagine why they wouldn't. How do they find you? Uh, I think you can probably just Google Rebecca Heiss, but the easiest way is uh, my website, which is Rebecca Heiss, H-E-I-S-S dot com. My email is the same, Rebecca at RebeccaHeist.com. I am on all of the socials. Uh, if you can catch me on there, which I try to avoid as much as possible, but reach out, uh, Dr. Rebecca Heist at Dr. Rebecca Heist on Insta and Twitter, and you'll find me if you want me. Uh, and then I'll just say, good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> Super. Whatever you find is yours to keep, right? <laughs> I, love, I love it. Super. All right, uh, Scott Pfeiffer, tell everybody how they find you. Uh, you can find me by emailing me at uh, strategybusinessconsulting at gmail.com. Uh, fscottp.com is my website. And of course, I'm on LinkedIn. It's a great place to connect with me, just as Scott Pfeiffer. Super. Carol Hamilton. I know I'm looking at you, but you can't tell that, right? Until I... <laughs> no worries. The easiest and fastest way to find me is on LinkedIn at Carol Hamilton Live. That's just the fastest way. Everything else is under transition right now. So that's it. Now you've got me wanting to go find also other ways to find you to see what it was you were doing yes. that you're no longer yes. doing. I don't know what that might be. It's, like, oh. it's all part of my evil plan. He's got evil plans. Yes. Excellent. Um, well, thank we can you. talk about that whole stereotype of, of women and, and having evil plans, especially as we evolve into power another, for another episode. Ah, I've, I will be there for that one. <laughs> many discussions here. Yes, I can tell. I'm just going to say, you're just laying right into my own mythology of how the world works. That women have evil <laughs> plans is what I really thought how the world worked anyway. We I mean, have magical it. powers. Yeah. And this. me, I'm just part of the recipe. I'm just one of the ingredients. That's all. One... Said, it says fill, but it doesn't say fresh or frozen. How do I know? How do I want that? All right. Hey, I'm Phil Yanov. And the best way to find us, of course, is at Tech After Five. Our job is to help you make the connections you need, build that network you need. And we're doing that through our events, which are now all on the web. You can find us at techafterfive.com. If you need just me, Phil Yanov, I'm at philyanov.com. And please listen to the podcast, subscribe to us on YouTube. If you do that, it's going to open up some features. We've got some cool things that we're going to do. I know I don't want to be the cat that's here begging, subscribe and like, but you know, I'm going to be that cat today. Subscribe and like, just do that for us. And uh, I promise I won't ask you again until the next episode. Thanks friends. See you.